Record button has been pressed. Oops, let me get a sip here. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. For Saturday night, January 9th, 2021, this is episode 32 of the Anime Roundtable version 2.0. Once again, a reminder that you can contact us if you have any comments. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address. Twitter and Instagram, we're there, at AnimeRoundtable. AnimeRoundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. And we'll also bring up the Discord and Facebook groups. We're sort of there. And don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Whether it's... Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, if you can leave some feedback. Oh, and just a note on the Twitter feed. Follow us on Twitter because uh, doing so will almost certainly get a message from us. Akimashite omedetou gozaimasu. Mike Nichols from the Six Point Studio here in Toronto. Traditionally, the New Year's greetings in Japanese make references into safely crossing over. Before the New Year, you make wishes for a safe crossover, and after the New Year, you congratulate people for successfully doing so. And that's what we're doing here, especially with how 2020 turned out. With the New Year comes new opportunities and maybe some changes too. Hopefully, the changes will be subtle. But once in a while, we have to be a little different. With that in mind, Kevin Ng and Jeff Gregg are here this evening. And these two were the only ones available. But also, these two are emblematic of how grateful I am that anyone ever paid attention to the roundtable back then. Jeff was a member of the regular live audience of uh, one or two people back during the Comic Den era and he eventually became a regular on the show. However, this is the first time he's been on since the first episodes of the Six Talk era shows. Kevin was a longtime listener during version one and is now a mainstay in version two. So thanks again for doing this tonight, guys. You're welcome. Yeah, of course. Good to hear from you again, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's been a little, little while because... Uh, I think what was it? The last time you were on was I think one of, one of the first episodes of the Six Talk era shows yeah, when we were at Anime yeah. North a couple years ago. Yep, I I always love those shows, whether it is uh, you know jumping onto the the mic uh, or uh, coming halfway through because I was at Anime Hell prior, which is what normally happens. No, normally, and uh, you know, I, I on that note, I actually have spoken with Dave Merrill. A little bit. Uh, remind me to mention that a little <laughs> later on, uh, off air. 
<laughs> which, which is once again uh, an encouragement for people to come and see the show live. <laughs> I remember when that was something that people <laughs> could actually do. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Wh- whenever the pandemic ends, no, you guys, uh, thank you for uh, doing this. Okay. Let, let's. Uh, let me just quickly start by saying it must be noted that both James and Mo are occupied this weekend. And when they told me that, I was thinking we wouldn't have an episode this weekend. But then I thought about Jeff and wanting to catch up and do a Space Heater chat episode with him. But in talking with Jeff, we got to talking about the recent episodes we've done and even the guest spot we did on Zan in Canada with Jesse. And of course, we ended up talking about the last episode with... Matt Alt. And I know Kevin has listened to the episode too, so I pulled him in for this episode. I know in time Jeff and I will get to talking about other past episodes, but after our conversation with Matt Alt, I think now would be a good time to start looking back on the special we did with him. Who wants to go first? Any thoughts from either of you? Where do you want to start with that? Well, I guess that, um, as you know, I mentioned to you off air, I thought that, you know, you had mentioned that it was, you know, one of your favorite episodes that you've uh, done recently. Uh, and I thought, you know, it was a pretty, very solid, entertaining um, episode that flowed from topic to topic very naturally. Um, a lot of the topics are things that, you know, I'm personally interested from my experience uh, in Japan to his uh, dub support, which uh, as a dub watcher, <laughs> you don't always uh, get. Um, oh, so yeah. yeah, lots of lots of topics that uh, very much appeal to me. Uh, I will say just quickly, my like in my in my uh, older age now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've become really patient with dubs. I, I keep telling the story. I became a fan of certain English voices when I met them before I ever mm. saw any of their work. That's that's how I explain Lisa Ortiz sometimes. But I think I've grown a even greater patience for dubs now. And these days when I watch anime, whenever I get around to it, if, <laughs> if an option to, if a viable option to watch in English exists, I will at, at worst alternate between both, which I did with Great Pretender. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about that in a couple seconds. Uh, Kevin? I found it pretty entertaining. Uh, I know of Matt Alt through Anime World Order, though I had not heard him talk in quite a long time. So uh, to hear him cover a good number of topics that I was interested in as well was, you know, it was a night. It was nice. It was really nice. I do think that uh, on well, if we're gonna bring up one point. Uh, I don't agree with you guys on the Demon Slayer bit. <laughs> oh, yo- on, on Yokai? No, just the fact that you don't think Demon Slayer wouldn't be a huge success over oh, in North East. By all accounts, it has, I would think. I would say it is on par with My Hero Academia, which I would say is the current Naruto, so to speak. Okay. 
Well, okay, maybe not. Yeah, actually, no, I would. I would say My Hero Academia is Naruto-level popularity now. And do I think it'll be, like, long-lasting? That's still on the table, especially because Demon Slayer has ended. But for, just from what I can tell, by being on different groups and just noticing, like, people talking about it, uh, I have friends who aren't that into anime that have watched Demon Slayer and they love it. That's obviously just a small sample, but usually you know something has done pretty well when you have non-anime fans talking hmm. about it. I think that sort of comes to the point that Matt's, well, in a roundabout way, comes back to the point Matt made about the significance of Netflix's algorithm and the motivations for bringing Japanese shows onto Netflix. It's more the mentality that if it's popular, it might work anywhere. I mean, that's the, that's the takeaway I got when he gave that line at the, towards the end of the interview. Is mm. Demon Slayer officially available in English and which platform is it available on? They are available on pretty much everywhere. Uh, the anime is legally streaming. I believe it was Crunchyroll at the time. Yes, it's been on Crunchyroll. Uh, I would assume it's on Netflix now, but I don't know. <laughs> it's set um, to get on Netflix. And yes, it's listed on Netflix. Demon, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. Whereas it's with a, the manga, it, it is coming through Viz. Uh, okay. Actually, what happened back in May or June was that uh, the bi-monthly manga release became monthly because Viz saw the opportunity to capitalize on the demand. There's your there's your Naruto-ish type. They, they released a book monthly from, I think, June to December. Okay. Yeah. it's So, and of course, you can read... You can read Demon Slayer online through the Shonen Jump app as well. It's in the vault now, so you'd have to pay that two seventy nine Canadian a month or two dollars US to access that. But it's probably at your local library as well. Hmm. Just to clarify, you mentioned Crunchyroll. It is listed on Netflix, but it isn't set to be on Netflix until January twenty second. Mm hmm. Okay. So, so there's that. So, Kevin, I do want to counter your popularity point by just mentioning that Demon Slayer posters are not at Walmart, from my knowledge. <laughs> and I think that with, you know, if you see Attack on Titan or My Hero Academia, you had posters there within a couple months. And I think that's the true uh, point to tell if something's popular with uh, the, the normies, I suppose you might want to call it. Point well taken. <laughs> You're you haven't made it until you can find a Studio Ghibli film <laughs> at Walmart <laughs> for a decent price. I think it's it's weird because um, sort of my uh, friend group, sort of generally early thirties, late twenties. Uh, um, none of our sort of circles have seen a Demon Slayer, and we're all kind of mystified at this you know, popular series, especially in Japan and certainly other, um, I guess, North American Canadian fans, like it is, um, you know, 
uh, cropping up. But I, I find it weird, the, the sort of status that Demon Slayer is. Like, I'm aware it's super popular, but I personally don't know anyone who's seen it. That's interesting. Uh, I guess I'll second it. And it's not meant to be a criticism of Demon Slayer. I'm actually, I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to watch the, the original anime series myself. I would so, say a lot of its popularity is because of the anime, because the production values on that are very good. Uh, it's the same studio as Fate Zero and the Fate Stay Night movies, the good one, that, that is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I do remember. I guess it maybe was one or two years ago. There was one scene from, I guess, maybe late in the first season of the anime that I, I do remember started to trend on social media um, just for how good it, it was as far as the animation quality. Um, some fight scene, I'm, I imagine. Um, but that was the last I kind of heard of it sort of as as far as until the movie recently. As I said, I'll, I got to make time for it. I, I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, I guess I'm a little bit surprised myself as to the popularity. I mean, as I said, it, it, it overtook. It's was been it? a, sorry, it's been a feature. Cause I, I subscribe to the, um, gacha, gacha crate, um, uh, yes. sort of loot box. Demon Slayer has been a feature. I'd say the last three, crates in a row so uh, i guess in that way i kind of was aware that it was uh, something people were interested in <laughs> well okay how often do you get crates um theoretically once a month but uh pandemic has you know slowed things down a bit okay so generally not if not yeah generally but not quite right now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i mean i i know so little about demon slayer and i guess i i, I want to try and understand it but i don't want like Here's my fear. It, it might sort of be like Attack on Titan for me. In what sense? And this is more in a general sense. It couldn't hook me after a few episodes. And mm -hmm. I told you, I told you my patient, uh, my viewing habits sometimes, right? I don't generally go around doing reviews or true recommendations for shows. It's if I can get through a series, a significant portion of the series, if not finish it, then I think it's worth watching. And I will say it's worth watching to people. If I have trouble doing so, then I can't recommend it. And and this is to say, I hate to... This is why I have trouble wanting to make too many recommendations or do reviews for this show. Because for listeners out there, always always get more than one opinion on a show. I personally think it's worth asking around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and not in, and attack on Titan. I respect its popularity. It's pro and it's probably still a very good show. It's just to this point, I cannot get past episode three. <laughs> I haven't given myself, and it's not necessarily because of content. It's just, I haven't given myself the time to, I would say for Demon Slayer, a lot of its strength lies in the likability of Tanjiro, its main character, his work ethic and his empathy to the people he battles is admirable. And mm -hmm. I do believe that the series does a good job of humanizing some of these villains as well. Now, I do think the pacing of the show is a little slow. 
because I could, I, the impression I got was that they didn't want to progress too quickly in the storyline. So there are moments where I did feel like it dragged a little bit and a couple of the supporting cast is annoying. (laughs) Specifically Zenitsu is very annoying at the beginning, but I digress. I do feel like it's a pretty quality storyline overall. And remember, this is UFO table. And it's rare that they put out a terrible show. So I feel like everything kind of melded together. Mm -hmm. Because I do believe it was largely the anime that made it popular. Okay. Your pacing comment is interesting because it made me realize that I think that the shonen filler might be dead. I would say so for the most part. Like, I can't think of a single series that has utilized that, and My Hero Academia would be a perfect show for fillers, but they've avoided it. I think, you know, this is just pure speculation on my part, but with My Hero Academia specifically, I don't think Horikoshi wants there to be filler. Mm. And that's also why there weren't, like, there wasn't, there was only two movies that came out from My Hero Academia. Like, I think it was a conscious decision on his part to not make too many movies in that sense, because those movies would largely be filler. Uh, Also, we now see, uh, we see that there's a lot of season breaks now. The only shows that I can think of that just run continuously are Black Clover and Boruto. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Usually they'll do 13 to 26 episodes and then they'll just cut it off. And if it's Hmm. popular enough, it may get another season or maybe it won't. You can end up with something really frustrating like a card captor soccer or a clear card. (laughs) I hinted that, right? Mm -hmm. That's the one that sometimes well that's it was just weird like that was just as weird an ending as i've ever seen for an anime series right <laughs> that just so blatantly said read the manga <laughs> oh god that's that was just that's that's my takeaway from card capture to this moment okay well i i as i said i want to keep an open mind for a demon slayer i i, I know like Every time I look on YouTube every so often, I always see a cover of its opening theme song. Which is that song is so odd. good. Which is so odd. It's it's probably um, a, a topic nice. for another day, but like I think the the boom in the last five years of of both English and Japanese fan covers has been really interesting to see. Mm. Hmm. Like it's well, it's like when I was like you know getting into anime in the sort of end of high school and into university um finding a good you know english fan cover was rare um every so often a like a company would actually do an official english dub but you know within the last five years there are people who have i i'd say sustainable youtube careers uh just from doing uh you know, multi-language or their individual language uh, dubs of of anime opening and and endings. Good way to put it. Oh. Uh, I guess it'll depend on how the rights holders feel. All and we'll kind of yeah delve into <laughs> that a bit in the in the bullet segment. I guess in the second segment. Okay. 
Well, what else? I'm, as I said, this is an open forum for you guys concerning the Mad Alt chat. What else stuck out? What else do you want to, anything in particular from that chat? Hmm. Otherwise, this isn't going to be much of now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought the video game chat was interesting. Like, in, oh, yeah. In what way? Uh, like, just the stories of like the different translators and how you went oh. from having fewer than 10 good Japanese to English translators to now you have tons of people saying, yes, when I grow up, I want to translate <laughs> Japanese video games into English. Yeah, and well, it, it's sort of a weird thing because it, like if you read the book, you'll, and maybe understand a little bit more about the history of the production on the anime side and how, how, what's the word? What's the phrasing I want to use here? Because I sort of want to be careful. How cheap the industry is, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like almost slave labor like the industry can be. And, you know, the original sin, which is, you know, and anybody who who's read the book or knows anything about the history of anime production in Japan, sounds, that sounds uh, redundant to say that anime production in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's a complicated story sometimes, you know, there's yes. still situations where things are animated in North or South or even North Korea. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, well. When you hear the story, when you hear the story, uh where was I? Well, you'll you'll know that it's it, it maddens you that the irony is sometimes there could be cases where commentators and writers who write about the industry could end up making more <laughs> than those in the industry itself. And in the case of translators, and Matt kind of hinted at it in the interview, it's sometimes you get what you pay for. Yeah, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this for free. And sometimes people will jump at it. Sometimes companies will jump at it. But is it a good translation? Does it do it justice? No. Yep. That's the real question. Because then that that's a good translation is a big part of the uh, of the quality of a game. The phrase "you get what you pay for" comes to mind here. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it, the other catch twenty two in all of this is any creatives in Jap in Japan tend to gravitate more towards the video game industry than anime and manga because and once again to quote the great urban poets the wu-tang clan cash rules everything around me get the money dollar dollar bill y'all because <laughs> that's what it is it's it's more practical it's more well, it pays better to be in that in the video game industry, but it's weird because now we talk about localizations, translations into other languages. Then we're going lowest common denominator or cheap buck there. I did think that, like with <clears throat> throughout the entire interview, um, the the sort of common thread of localization instead of just translation, um, I thought was really 
interesting and uh sort of jumping off what what kevin uh mentioned about the the just the video game portion of the interview itself just the idea of this like level of um it's like different levels of localization i couldn't help but think of um undertale right so with undertale we have a game that's influenced by a japanese game that is essentially mocking american culture um so it's this weird you know multi-level and now the you know the developer of that game got to go to japan to compose music for pokemon and play smash brothers with the director of the series (laughs) so like there's you know i'm always fascinated by these like different levels of like lenses of how you know these people are um, around the world seeing kind of each other and I thought that, you know, with what Matt Alt was talking about, um, the translation of sometimes a translation doesn't have to be good to be popular. Um, so Resident Evil, he brought up. Um, I think that you have something like, it's back to the anime realm, uh, Samurai Pizza Cats. Um, I'd be really interested to see what the original directors of that show thought of the English version more recent example with the English dub of Sergeant Frog. Um, And then even Power Rangers, right? Where the English adaptation and chimera of weird 30-somethings playing teenagers ended up getting retranslated into Japanese because of the Mm -hmm. popularity. Um, So, you know, there's, it's, it's great to see all these, these different layers of both translation and interpretation and even just, really loose adaptation (laughs) yeah sometimes it's well there's that phrase pictures worth a thousand words we're going to use a bunch of little (laughs) cliches here i guess but it's like like i guess it's possible to over translate Mm. to go overboard and then something gets lost because you try too hard and sometimes you're if you try and be somewhat simplistic Sometimes you can still be able to get through a lot or convey a lot by not trying too hard. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't know if like, like, and this is coming from somebody who only knows one language. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I fully admit that. Well, in, in the interview, I think that that relates a little bit to when he mentioned like yokai and sushi. Um, oh, yes. Like, because so. when I was in Japan, people would often say, like, I like raw fish, and they meant sushi. They didn't mean sashimi, or they just liked eating whole raw fish. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they're they're trying to figure out, you know, translation, and sometimes they'd struggle, like, what's, what's the English uh, word for oni? Um, and it's like, ah, kind of demon, um, and same for, for things like yokai. You know, it, it's difficult kind of in, in on both ends of the translation barrier, I guess. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're because if you get too literal, then it it really takes away the intent, I suppose. Kind of like umami, too. Mm-hmm. Umami is another one. And by the way, in watching a NHK World show earlier this week, I think I now know another word that could could add to the umami lexicon or the umami branch of all that. There's a, I think the word was koku. I know that's often used as a, as a ancient unit of measurement in Japan of some sort, thinking when it relates to rice, but in this context, it was used to describe 
aromas, I think. Hmm. I think. And that's just basically looking it up on Google. But there's more, but obviously it becomes more complex than that. More, just like it's, it's more complex to refer to umami as just savory taste. Because <laughs> that's the best way I can yeah. explain it into English, but it, it, it doesn't map out that way, as, as, as Matt is. Well, we can thank Food Wars for bringing <laughs> umami into the English lexicon. Well, I think you can go even further back than that, actually. Probably even, <laughs> I think, maybe, maybe Iron Chef in its various iterations. I think like, that everything kind of goes back to that sort of main point that uh, you were talking about, you know, and just a couple seconds ago with money. Like, I think sushi, no matter how you slice it, pun accidental, uh, is more palatable, pun also accidental, than just saying raw fish. Like, right. you say, I have this raw fish with vinegar rice restaurant. It's not going to sell as well as this uh, exotic idea of sushi. Mm-hmm. Although now it's, it's very mundane. Right. Well, it's to the point sushi is now part of the regular English usage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like with with the monetary thing, um, you know, it, it was interesting to see uh, you bring up Pokemon uh, because with the monetization of of that series, you know, you can kind of see where the marketing affects the the branding. Where every generation of Pokemon, the Pikachu clone and the legendary Pokemon keep their Japanese name. Where even if, you know, uh, Hidokage becomes Charmander and um, Pochema becomes Piplup. But, you know, Pachirisu, which is a very Japanese-sounding name, stays as Pachirisu, Pachirisu in English. Togedemaru uh, stays oh, yeah, as Togedemaru in English, even though I'm sure little five-year-olds... Well, I think it's great that they're <laughs> learning Japanese pronunciation. <laughs> but it, it's going to be more difficult than, in, you know, some of your, your other Pokemon. And, you know, in the first couple generations when they translated almost everything. Mm-hmm. Kasumi, Misty, okay. I wonder about Plusle and Minin then. <laughs> it's, um, so those ones, they... It's essentially the same, but they're very Romanized. Like if you uh, um, kind of like Eevee, like sometimes in marketing, Eevee is um, at least used to be spelled like E-U-V-I-I. Mewtwo used to be spelled out um, with M-Y-U-U-T-U uh, um, and then sometimes T-W-O. So the two mm. was accurate. Mm. Yeah. So they've, you know, the branding has changed even with the... Um, romanization of of some of these uh pokemon that share the the english and japanese name okay hmm. well uh, there's so there's another layer i guess we uh, <laughs> from the interview in terms of video games sorry so sorry to gush about the interview again but um when he brought up city pop i was really um entertained because i have just been sort of getting back into city pop and it kind of resonated uh just because mentioning about the video games having that soundtrack i think my introduction to city pop was probably sonic the hedgehog 2 um Hmm. it had dreams come true providing the the soundtrack which i guess (laughs) slightly different uh genre but pretty much city pop try Um, and explain city pop to me i mean i heard the term i try i should have listened to a little more over the week since we've done the interview 
couple weeks now. City pop is usually slower paced. There are a little bit up tempo uh, city pop tracks, but it's difficult to to describe the the sound of of the music without um without I guess just without listening to it. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm not sure how much inform Kevin. How much do you know about city pop as a genre? I don't claim to know a lot about it. I do think it has this very distinct sound yeah. that sounds a little retro. I think that's maybe, the best way I can describe it. I maybe, I don't claim to know though. Maybe Friday Night from Yakuza is city pop. I'm just trying to look that mm-hmm. up now. Um, but if I'm thinking about a song that I'm assuming you know from your uh, uh, Yakuza <laughs> um, <laughs> situations, like um, or Yakuza playing. I think that maybe that would count, but I don't think it's quite right. I think that might just be, you know, Japanese disco or um, whatever. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, to me, it's a, like, as I said, t- t- tells you how much I keep up sometimes. It's a term that I'm be- only becoming familiar with, right? It was my oh. second most listened uh, genre on Spotify for their year-end review. Oh. <laughs> And the first one was something was something called Otakore, which um, I believe is Otaku Core, which I believe is what Spotify calls English covers of Japanese songs. Uh, <laughs> English covers, of, English covers of any song, great. Yeah. And I think video game songs too. So I think if you okay. listen to a bunch of uh, Life Flight from Smash Brothers or uh, Simple and Clean, I think they would wrap that into uh, Otakore as well. But I'm not completely sure. Mm, interesting. Mm. Well, like I said, as, as we brought the show back three years ago, I sort of became familiar with terms that I'd uh, known the concepts of for years. Annie song is, was a, is a fairly recent term in compare for me in all my years of keeping up with anime and manga. Right. I only encountered it when I was in Japan. Uh, so 2013, that was my first time encountering the term. Yeah. So as I said, it's a fairly recent term. So I would have, I would have probably encountered the term maybe a year or so after. And that's because they want to profile it a little bit more on, on NHK's world's music shows, which comes back to the cool, whole cool Japan initiative, I suppose, (laughs) or wanting to promote some of that J-pop soft power that we brought up or that comes up that's a constant theme recently right okay any other takeaways <laughs> oh, I, or, or do you want to get to like like otherwise i can end this and we don't have to talk about the last chapter oh thank god <laughs> <laughs> oh thank god why would you say that mike now we're going to talk about it because you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it is because you made me reread chapter nine in Pure Invention, right? <laughs> and obviously we're we're taping on was it January 9th, three days after what happened in Washington. Mm. And this is like chapter nine, the final chapter kind of ties together how boards like Nichanru, uh, um, Futaba-chan, um, what is it, 4chan, and and the like, and 8kun, how they all tie into the 
alt-right here in in the in North America and the US. Like that that's sort of the that's sort of the impetus of the fi- of the final chapter of the book and if you look uh, as I said if you google the terms uh, the right terms like alt-right and anime fandom you'll actually get some articles about talking about it and it's sort of you have trouble making sense of it sometimes how how did it how did like japanese like message boards you end up fueling something like that fueling at least the mentality if not the events of something like wednesday right and in rereading the chapter it's hard sometimes to put into words at least from my standpoint when i reread it it's a reminder of history i suppose cuz the book was about talking about the lost years or the disenfranchisement of youth you know with the those feelings that would have existed in the 60s of you know not fitting into the society to the society as it was then if not rebelling against it being an outcast from it and then the lost decade being a return version of it of sorts for the for the japanese youth of that time and how it's kind of really not figured its itself out in the years since and the how do i put this those boards those boards were a kind of a capture for it kind of a place for people who were in that in those shoes to vent in that position to vent kind of an aimless a certain degree of aimlessness and depending on who decided to aim uh, who decided to call to them and grasp it and direct them it could go a bunch of different ways right i mean as i said this is really hard to explain right now but i guess a short story would be anybody on that board is very impressionable because of whatever circumstances they have sometimes they're outcasts sometimes they're just looking for a place to vent sometimes they're just fans but then they end up being directed just by in some form maybe by a well-known force as was the case with people like milos uh, and i can't pronounce his last name yanapopoulos i hope i'm pronouncing that right but he was a well-known alt-right figure like five years ago and then life fell apart for him maybe thankfully who knows mm. or or breitbart and and steve bannon because they got wind of that and tried to take that and use it to their advantage and they did rather successfully of course there's others there's other segments who decided to try and use that use that those boards to do good right and the and the boards initially did do good in its in the nichan nichanru era they they did do some good sometimes they pulled off some silly pranks but then it just twisted around when it just kind of twisted around in a 
Like, it's one of those, now to use another popular cliche from another movie, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> oh. No, that's, but because that's sort of what happened there, right? You got a bunch of impressionable people who, impre- who influence each other. This is sort of how Gamergate kind of ended, started. But then it's like, it's so, it's so many, there's so many layers. It's so hard to try to explain it here right now or explain it in a few minutes, I suppose. That's what happens right? when you have the anonymity of the internet to hide mm-hmm. your actions. Like you like, will they, later find these people and they will come out of the woodwork and they it's, will slowly put you in your environment. It's an amazing double-edged sword. Anonymity is good in one sense. It's horrible in another. We're at a point right now where we need to find, where people, it would probably be in the public's best interest to know who was really behind what happened Wednesday. We saw it, we know in one sense, we don't know in another, I, I think. So, but it, it's, and it's just strange how everybody, how you get a bunch of different groups from different, from almost polar opposites be able to claim the same space. I think the, the, and sometimes that's sort of maybe the history of anime and manga too, because in many respects it was born as a form of protest against what was considered the establishment back then and back and in the 60, 50s and 60s, it was a very conservative establishment. And in, and to be fair, it's still fairly conservative now in Japan. But here in the US and North America, the mentality tends to be a little bit more liberal. Certainly a little bit more left-leaning. That's considered the establishment. And the mentality has flipped. The anti-establishment is conservative. And they're loud. And they, you know, they sort of grew that way. So it's just like taking a, taking a chunk of that fandom and twisting their minds a little bit. Right. It's just weird because yeah, we, we as an anime fandom would have liked to think that we were all we're all for human rights, right? And we've and we've used iconography to do that. I mean, going back to the video game side, I think a diva from Overwatch is considered a symbol of of um, female empowerment in in Asia. And then it just you wonder how it twists in twists to go the other way. The short answer is. If you read up on it, it doesn't it you can kind of see how it happens. Yeah, it's it's not hard both, you know, very much on purpose and just little sort of not necessarily accidental, but just, you know, reactions or, uh, I guess, leftovers from, you know, some of these more unsavory elements. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just more of a case of, well. The world is dark. The world has some unsavory elements. And then the virtual world is meant to be a reflection of the real world, whether we like it or not. 
And this is a case of that of that dark side, I suppose. So, like, I mean, there's popular phrase. It's just the it's just, there's just a certain irony because sometimes in our own disenfranchisement, we we know that people could know the difference between virtual and reality. They just like the virtual, but then. The question becomes, well, a lot of the dark side of that reality is in the virtual too. That's sort of some of the story here. And once again, I may have to reread that chapter <laughs> one more time just to, just to try to make sense of it. And, and here's another popular cliche. The people, the people behind Nichanru, 2chan, and 4chan. They're um, like a lot of them, a lot of the people behind that I, ha, are trying to kind of put the genie back in the bottle they, because they, they do share more. They do share more human rights views, but there is one more pocket. There is uh, there the uh, eight chan or futup or whatever it's called eight kun. There is another board. <laughs> there will always and, be and that board, and that and the, guy, and the guy who runs that. That's where it gets interesting because I think their views tend to be not quite there. I'm I'm wondering with um, Donald Trump being banned from from Twitter, I I wonder how many of this sort of conversation is going to go to places that you know the the public at large doesn't know about as much. Yeah, that's a, that's an intro. That's I guess a fair point because they're like, yeah, this is these boards were like a place to nurture that mentality, but did it push it the way it did? It actually drive it in recent times the way to the point where Wednesday happened, or was it more driven on like? What we call what what's more the the more modern social media is like the Twitters, like the Facebooks, or dare I say, Parler. And I mean, I, I'm still trying to put my head hand, like wrap my hand on on the whole thing. I I think as especially as anime and manga fans or fans of of Japanese culture, I think it can be a struggle for a lot of us to reconcile with the the darker elements of you know uh japanese history or even japanese pop culture history whether that is you know going into imperialism or you know racism xenophobia um or you know the the right wing type of things that are shared between the alt-right and um i forget what uh what alt uh mr alt mentioned there was like a very japanese equivalent that was like before the alt-right came up in America. Oh, yes. And it's actually brought up in the in the book, and I have to find the exact <laughs> term he used mm-hmm. for it. Give me one second. Go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah, like j- just, you know, with, if you look at these far-right beliefs, one of the most common and depressing statements, like as a, a fan of, of, you know, as a person who's interested in Japan and international 
um, relations in general is when these these far right extremists will say things like, look at Japan, it's, you know, 98% Japanese purity, like, you know, therefore, look how strong their their culture is. America needs to be like that and, you know, have a, a culture that's the same way. And it's like, this is <laughs> not the best part of Japan. Yeah, two channel user, uh, Netu, uh, Netu Yuko, the net right wins. Yeah. I think that was the, that's, uh, that's who you're talking about there. I guess part of it is also, as I said, it's a part of it's anti-establishment. I think people also were tired about of, you know, large media, large companies saying what should be, what should and shouldn't be shown. And this was like a way to filter that, like the boards were means to filter out. So you twist that argument around, Mm -hmm. right? So what, so you say you use the gatekeeper, you can use the gatekeeper argument in one sense, but then it gets twisted around to, well, we have to go up against elites, which is a line that all right, like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like gatekeeper elites. In many, like, are they, this, are they different? Are they the same? So... I mean, I think that was a key point, in, and that was a key point in the actual chapter as well, right? And and see, this is and when and kind of comes back to also our fandom too, as non-Japanese fans of anime, because we went through like the '90s knowing this existed, but we couldn't see it. It was too filtered for us, and we didn't like that as fans. We want to see it fairly unadulterated, but keeping once again, then then we get it gets complicated again, and we end up with those translation stories as well. And then, like at another layer, um, you know, when I'm thinking back to when the Ghost in the Shell movie came out. Um, and you know, there was this multiple, almost ping pong match of um, layers of, is this acceptable, this casting where you had initially like, oh, I can't believe a white actress was, or actor was, um, is playing this Japanese character and the Japanese character is being turned into another character, another ethnicity. And then you had the Japanese, um, audience saying, I don't care. It's cool. I like this person or it's a robot. It doesn't matter. And then, you know, the tennis racket goes all the way back to, um, you know, the U S and saying, no, it's not about that. It's about Asian American actors and how there's so little opportunities for them. And I think that's a really good argument. And that was the (laughs) game point for, for that one personally, but you know, there's, there's all these ways where, you know, this, these sort of, you know, as not people in Japan, at what point is that a means to, to gatekeep a conversation? Like, I don't think that just, because the original story was written in Japan that, you know, Japanese fans should have the, the be all and end all or the final say in, you know, is this okay? There's part of your translation argument, I guess, right? Great Pretender can be sort of that because it's set in, even though it's a Japanese production, yeah. it's set in other places. It's set in, it's not, it's set in other places around the world. And, and what Matt Alts mentioned about, like, um, for Doraemon, like, not being able to have Band-Aids on screen, there are certain things that should not be on, or not should not be, but are not 
you know, legally allowed on, uh, you know, North American television and things that really shouldn't be acceptable um, anywhere in the world, not to mention Japan uh, today. No, there's some there's a certain degree of weird ironies, I guess, when we when I reread the chapter again. I mean, we we the Gamergate controversy was about, I, I suppose, was about guys who were worried that women were getting too much into the gaming space. <laughs> Although the real reality is, women have always have been in the gaming space longer than people will ever give it credit for, especially when it became more of a fat, uh, became more fashionable. And uh, I think uh, I think um, alt kind of pins it in the um, in the uh, at a point in the Famicom era in the in the Nintendo Entertainment System era and maybe more more into the Game Boy era there there, there was nothing there to regain cuz in the formative years it uh, ga- gamers like in the more formative years it became pretty equally split or the irony of or maybe well that's a that's a gamergate thing and that's another story altogether <laughs> i suppose really another story when it comes down to it or in the irony of of censoring genitalia using pixels and mosaics there and certain obscene material but in trying to in trying to shelter shelter what would be considered rather normal sexual acts we ended up or it had the unintended consequence of fetishizing it. And then you ended up with something like Overfiend. So. And in a way, censorship is being partly blamed for the PlayStation 5's failure in Japan. So. Well, okay. That's another. Right. I guess it's a nice little side. How so? Um, so. I, I I forget where it was, but I was reading. Um, I think it was yesterday that there. So the PlayStation Five is the I think the slowest selling PlayStation console in history. I'm not sure if they're counting the portables, but those actually were fairly popular in Japan. Um, oh, even okay. Yeah, even <laughs> the PSP Vita, they they love those things. Um, really, but yeah. Um, oh yeah. But with the PlayStation Five, um, it isn't selling even with pandemic and you know everything that's going on uh people are starting to notice oh this is not looking so good and one of the points brought up was the fact that um a lot of uh people were upset that the playstation 5 was um a yes developed uh in in the u.s but also there was a lot of censorship happening with with games even on the japanese end in order to cater to the the censorship laws in north america Hmm. Not the first time and wouldn't be the last time. I've I've heard my fair stories with certain games (laughs) here and there. Okay. Well, you know what? I shouldn't have been so surprised about the popularity of something like a PSP or Vita because maybe that's part of the... That just comes back to the whole commuter culture thing too. People aren't at home enough. So people still like like things on the go. Also, people liked Monster Hunter. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, that that's about it. <laughs> that's probably true. That's probably true. People in Japan liked Monster yeah, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, more specifically, Yeah, right? that's a good okay. point. I do think Monster Hunter World did broaden the audience here, but when it came to the handhelds, yeah, it, 
it was predominantly Japan for Monster Hunter. Sure. There, okay. it, it's fascinating to see some of these games that just won't break um, that barrier quite as easily. You have things like Monster Hunter, um, Puzzle and Dragons, Yokai Watch. That you know, all all three of them. I think Monster Hunter is probably the most successful. But you know, there are so many of these franchises that you know really try to to break it international. But they are are stalwarts of the uh, Japanese uh, sort of video game fandom spaces. Yokai Watch is kind of dead, but um puzzle and dragon still there um and monster hunter i think is is going to be just as ubiquitous as zelda or mario no yeah. uh, okay did i did i did i explain the uh, last chapter well enough or <laughs> would we uh, do we still have or, or would we have to talk about this a little more and trust me i don't mind talking about it i'm still trying to make sense of it and i'm like I'm partly, I am sorry that we didn't delve into it in some ways, but I'm also not sorry because I know that it's, it would, that two hour conversation could have become four in the process. And then that's even without kind of branching out within, you know, from that one topic of talking about these, these Japanese message boards, you could go off onto so many tangents, but even with just focusing on the boards, I think it could have been a two hour conversation. Yes. And, and and it's and for what it's worth, and we'll put a link up in the episodes. There was this. There's another YouTube show and podcast called Why Come Japan that also talked with Matt Alt in the last couple months. And my understanding is that particular episode, that particular conversation, focused in a lot more on this discussion. We we have promised to have Matt on in the future to talk a little bit more about this. But if you really do want to get a, a good sense of some of his thoughts on the topic at this point right now, I'll put up a link to Why Come Japan, I think the YouTube version of that episode, just for reference. And I think um, I haven't given it a watch, a full watch, but I know it will be worth a watch and a listen in the near future. So are we done? Are we done uh, with our first thoughts on the uh, interview? Because we've talked about it. <laughs> for much of the hour on it <laughs> i guess there, I, there something else say, you want to bring up? I guess i would also say that i did like how conversational it was mm. and i know that's something that you strive to do when you do these and it's something that i appreciate because sometimes when you do a formal interview it can sound a little boring but but i guess with this format it just feels more pleasant and and like I and like you've said, you want these to be conversations. So I think that it's a it was a good direction. It was how you took it was the direction you took it in was good. I thought, in spite it's, of the little tangents here and there. Personally, I was okay with the tangents because I knew, figured that would happen. It's and this is probably us still trying to us as anime roundtable as the podcast still trying to understand what it's like to have guests because <laughs> throughout all of the now almost 15 year history of this show minus the minus uh, being away for about half more than half of it we've never had guests we've never had guests yeah the closest we had in, in the first in the in the original era was norm was Norm McAvoy coming on to do a to do a segment at Anime North itself, and then 
Jesse started to come on for the first time. And then we were able to secure a, a long conversation with Fred Schott. And Fred Schott is really the blueprint for how we do these things. But we want to approach them as partly fans, but you know, we want to engage them on the topics that they write uh, that they write about. So our three the three guests we've had over the over the last couple of years, Fred Schott, Kat Callahan, Matt, Matt Alt, we wanted to understand, have a good understanding of their material and talk to them rather casually about that. And remember, you pair that up with the original intentions, the original inspirations for the show. The show isn't a straight out interview show. It's just a conversation. It's just maybe to a degree a debate. Well, it's a round table. So <laughs> that's inevitable. That should be. Considering how we went from not being able, not being able to get Leanna Kay on the show to where we are <laughs> yeah. now, I would say the uh, the podcast has come a long way. That's a good, and nobody's gonna. And you know what? How many people will actually remember that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I certainly forgot. <laughs> look, look, remember the inspirations for this show. It's. ESPN, the sports reporters, which is why I always think so much of the way the late John Saunders handled that show. And primetime sports, and of course, Bob McCowan, we, 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 I constantly mention that, but because his approach was always, and, and he'd do the, the interviews as well, but his general approach was a conversation at a bar. And a conversation so interesting, so engaging that, and so casual that anybody listening to it would want to jump in and add their two cents and maybe get in on the conversation fully. Which, by the way, comes back to the full circle thought I started with uh, when I brought introduced you two guys this evening, because you guys were just listeners back then, and now you're fully engaged in the conversation. And I do think that that vibe is, I think you've been able to achieve it. And I think that, you know, even um, back when, when you were, you know, uh, operating out of, you know, a university basement or at Anime North, I remember, you know, there were moments when I, I really wanted to like jump in at Anime North. I think um, one of uh, my friends, uh, a vice president of the anime club um, at York University, I think he even did jump up at the mic um, one of those episodes um, because I, I think, think we, I, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes, I remember that too. <laughs> sometimes it, you know, you do have such like a, a good um, and um, a vibe that sort of lends itself to, to wanting to do that for sure. Mm -hmm. So I think, We've, been, we've done okay with it in that sense. And as I said, you know, let's see what we can do with it in uh, 2021 now that, um, well, we're still here, which is, I guess, the cool thing. How many people care to listen? Eh, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but and I'll say this about, and, I'm, I, and I'll say this about Matt, and I'm, I know I'm going to repeat it, especially in light of talking with Matt. He was just easy to talk to. Mm. He is a fan. He is a fan and, you know, and uh, he has a certain, yeah, he's just a fan. 
I think he jokingly refers to himself as a man-child, but I think he takes it in stride. But I think, and I think that's also the general theory of the book uh, of the book too, right? The kidification of adulthood, I think, is a phrase that you'll hear. He's definitely a fan. Mm-hmm. Having yeah. heard, having heard him bringing up all these different topics in your episode, as well as uh, the Anime World Order episodes that he's done, because I actually went back to listen to those recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely a fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can tell and- that he's he's kept his fandom throughout his entire life. Um, you know, he was referencing fandom video games and shows like from the 70s up till the present so you can you really get a sense that he's he's immersed in uh these topics not only as an academic but also as a fan yeah and i you know i'm i i I have a degree of envy for what he's accomplished maybe i shouldn't but although he does uh, envy me on one point i i'm pretty sure I mentioned I, I saw Force 5 as it was aired here in oh, Toronto right. all those years ago. And he said, I wish I could have seen that at the time. <laughs> so I guess I went up, I got him on that one. And maybe the only thing I got him on. So there are, we do have more stories about the Matt Alt conversation. But I think they're also better said when, uh, when James and Mo come back on. So... For sure, we'll get the others' thoughts on the Matt Alt episode next time. And as I said, especially with James, because we both have a story about how we planned that conversation. Anyway, we're done, right? We're done with that, right? Sure. Is there anything else? Is there anything (laughs) else? Or will we save that for another episode? We've, we've, We've talked for an hour already. Okay, next time. <laughs> I can give minor feedback later on. Oh, cool. And we'll do that off the air. Another reason to <laughs> come and see the show live. <laughs> when we get back, we're going to do the bullets. And we're going to talk about a handful of stories that somehow connect with each other on a common theme. That's when we return. It's the Anime Roundtable on the Six Talk. Podcast Network. Do Japanese people have longer intestines than Westerners? Can sexy things give you anime-style nosebleeds? Why are vegetables so insulting in Japanese? If you want to find out the answers to those questions and many others, then I've got a podcast for you. It's called Ichimon Japan. That's I-C-H-I-M-O-N Japan. Ichimon means one question, and every episode we ask a question about Japan and dig deep into that topic. So if that sounds interesting to you, check us out at japankyo.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And the podcast now continues for this first episode of 2021. Nicholas, Ng, Greg, continuing the conversation with you in front of a virtual audience. Thanks for listening online via the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast, Anime North. That was a somewhat heavy first segment, wasn't it? It got there. 
you got there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah now we're, we're gonna lighten it up <laughs> here we go it's the bullets everything presented in point form but could become a full essay where do you want to start i said earlier that these bullets could in many respects tie in with each other except maybe Stefan Koza. <sighs> okay, what do we say? I, 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 maybe we should keep this one quick. <laughs> what do we say about Stefan Koza? Why, man? Why? Why you got to be like that? Okay, like I, I'm, re- I'm looking to s- just trying to skim the report because. Oh, we go, we go from alt right to uh, to child porn. Great. <laughs> lightening uh, the mood, right? Um, yeah, light, yeah, lighten it up. Okay, well, well give me the... All right, can you Coles note it? Can you Coles note it, uh, Kevin? If I have my facts straight, he got caught for possession and distribution of child pornography and is now arrested. And naturally, he is no longer translating anything for Viz anymore. I think that sums it up. What would he be famous for, if anything? He translated Jujutsu Kaisen, and he also translated Ghost Girl, which is the new work of uh, of uh, Ikeda Sensei, who drew Rosario to Vampire. Although he draws that under a pseudonym. Okay. Among a couple of other things that I can't recall at the moment. I was, I remember looking up Twitter around the time this started coming out and Lindsay Loveridge was kind of acknowledging what was going on and how much care they put into doing that, doing the articles based on this, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, maybe he can, um. Maybe Koza can get a job with Watsuki-san. Look. <laughs> yeah, there's the horns right there. Okay. <laughs> well, there's there's nothing he's going to... Get back in? That's assuming that he'll still be alive in three years. Japan is also different than uh, the U.S. when it comes to these sorts of things. Oh, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Obviously, that's another story. Because the stereotype is that uh, inmates don't take kindly to those kinds of people. Crimes? Yeah. But in any case, uh, it was also reported that he was arrested in Japan a few years ago for secret recordings of girls back when he taught at a Japanese school. So I'm not yeah. sure I'm not sure if um you two know this but uh all all phones in Japan you can't turn the sound off the camera because of that very reason it's such a rampant problem that uh all Japanese phones um there's no silent mode for the camera functions Interesting really? So if I t- if I put the rocker down I'm still going to hear the click yeah, exactly. Computer? Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing you can do. Even if you like connect headphones, it still will come out of the speaker. 
And also, can... just to clarify one thing, because uh, people were kind of uh, criticizing Viz for even employing this person. Well, mm -hmm. just so people are aware, uh, he was a contractor. So he was paid his amount for translating however many chapters he did up to that point. He does not collect royalties. So you can feel okay for supporting Jujutsu Kaisen by purchasing the manga. Support for the original artist. So yes, don't. I would say do not boycott the manga because of this. We had this discussion with ActAge in some form, didn't we? Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. I forgot the names again. Oh, you know the names. What are the names again? With ActAge? What, Tatsuya Matsuki? And? Was, and, yeah. the, and Shiro Usazaki was the artist. Yeah, Ushizaki. There you go. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things again. That's what it found, sounds like to me. Yep. Oh, he's in jail, or he will be in jail if not already, so... I'd say uh, people don't have to worry about much at this point. I would like to hope. I would like to hope. Okay. Okay, where do you want to go next? Because there isn't really much else to mention about... Uh, there isn't really much else to say about Mr. Koza. Yeah. Let's see. You you brought up that article with, uh, with Shueisha or something like that? Okay, Jeff, tell me about this one. This one, because I I, re I read some of this, it, it isn't there isn't too much said about it. Yeah, as far as I can so tell. so a few. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the actual event or, or the reason, I think, is still a little bit mysterious. But I think either yesterday uh, morning or maybe the day before, um, a lot of uh, Twitter users noticed that their display pictures, their um, header images, GIFs that they were using, um, were essentially copyright uh, claimed by Shueisha. Uh, and um, it led to mostly humorous jokes about like, well, we'll see if you can copyright this and uh, <laughs> let's, make, let's make as many yaoi pairings as possible. And if they take it down, it'll prove that it's canon. Um, so, you know, <laughs> people were, people were approaching it in good humor, but there was a little bit of an undercurrent of like, oh, why, why can they just remove fan art? Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, obviously led to, um, a lot of, you know, discussions of, you know, legal right and, you know, um, derivative works kind of stuff. Um, but it was, it was fairly rampant and seemingly random um you know some people were completely fine but others uh, had entire um galleries essentially taken down um and it it does seem to to stem from something that technically started months ago um which is essentially just more cracking down on on piracy in general yeah this is in like we're gonna put up the comicbook.com article based on this, but I know that articles have cited a copyright law that was approved back in June and came into effect in the new year. 
that's part of it. So like we talked uh, last episode about, about Kodansha. He's saying, you know, I'm keeping my eye on you, right? <laughs> and uh, yes, I'm using that. I'm using that gesture. I'm using the pointing my, you know, the eye. You know, what, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I'm using that gesture right now. Like it, it seems to be, just. I think it's the publishers now saying they can do this now. Well, because I, of this, like it, it, it just comes with this. It, it just seems to coincide with the law coming into effect. Yeah. And and I think that with the the fan art situation, um, I think that some of that was um, a bot. From what uh, I saw, one report it was just one tweet, so I'm not sure how much validity that was there. Um, but it was an automatic bot. It was only meant to target Japan. Whether you can argue that's um, a positive or a negative oh. or just neutral. Um, but apparently it was an error um, that it was supposed to be Japanese targeted, but it ended up affecting uh, the rest of the world as well. Hmm. But I well, think that uh, with, with piracy, Japan, you know, this is why, you know, so many things are, are region locked. Japan is afraid that it'll be easier for Japanese citizens to get a hold of, you know, pirated North American products which in a lot of times is, is true, either easier or me, like more convenient. Um, like even, you know, Japanese official release Japanese language um, media is often cheaper if you get it in North America. Reverse importing sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anime is usually very, a lot cheaper. Well, yeah. it was a problem for hentai anime as well as we all know. Yes, wow. well, we, 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 we've constantly talked about the whole bible black thing from way back right so yeah i found it you know the timing just grabs me i suppose i mean on a similar note just before the new year the studio behind the studio currently behind everything Neon Genesis Eva, Evangelion came out and asked fans to stop making <laughs> lewd fan art of its characters. Although there's a weird catch twenty, and and I get it, you know, it's a weird catch twenty two to me because you know people always stated sometimes that's sort of what kept it going all these years. That people decide to have imaginations of their own when it came to <laughs> characters. Having watched the series for the first time with the next Netflix release, I kind of get it. Um, I know there are movies that I haven't seen, but you know, there's there's definitely a lot of room for. I want to see these children do something other than cry uh, in the. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of it. Now, now I feel like going back to points that were expressed in the book as well, in pure invention, <laughs> right? The irony is sometimes like the rise of a se segments of fandom was because people were allowed to express or 
were generally allowed to express what was on their mind, letting their imaginations run wild. I mean, that's sort of how, that's a bit of how uh, the the Dojin story went. And it's reflected in North America, too. Like, slash fiction is why Star Wars, or Star Trek, um, came back. Um, And, you know, if you look at Twilight, uh, um, or what is it, Fifty Shades of Grey was originally, like, weird Twilight fan fiction or something. Like, there's, you know, it permeates lots of cultures. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, I think with Japan, what's different is that they have entire conventions based on fan fiction. Yeah, which doesn't really exist. Yeah. (laughs) But the the weird part about the story, when you think about Kamikaze history, is it kind of gave birth, nurtured, nurtured a lot of the female fandom that would would eventually become so important decades later. So... I mean, and in some ways, that's sort of, I was about to say, isn't that sort of how Eva's popularity kind of maintained itself these last couple decades? Uh, But then again, you can sort of use that argument with a lot of titles, couldn't you? Well, the show was good. Well, yeah, that too. Memorable. (laughs) That aside. that, 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 That aside, right? But we cannot deny that that the copious amounts of Ray and Asuka merchandise has sustained this fandom and its creators for the past 20 years. And for, to my knowledge, it seems like Kara is just... They're putting up guidelines, but I, whether or not they would really go after people is hard to say. and. Naturally, this went up because the last movie is coming out soon. About fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I have not seen the movies. But I, I presume they're a pretty good watch. And I've, only watch. Seen... <laughs> I've only seen the Netflix dub. Unless you want to count uh, me watching years ago Razafon, which is referred to as Budget Evangelion. That is not fair. That is not fair. Dude, that is not fair. Razafon is the best Eva clone of the bunch. I I don't even... Brain powered, on the other hand. I might... (laughs) I think that's a fair... Unfair comparison. Unfair anyway. I think it's just... So I I mean, I really like Razafon. I like Razafon. I might have liked Razafon better in some ways. I mean, some of that is, you know, I came to Evangelion fairly late. But I thought that Razafon's oh no, this is what's actually happening episode was better than Evangelion's version of it. But, you know, I saw (laughs) Evangelion after, so I'm not sure how much of that. That's great. (laughs) I have watched the three movies, the three remake films, to be specific. I did not watch past episode five of the Evangelion TV series. Oh, wow. That also skews my... (laughs) Uh, judgment a little bit because i did watch razafon and fall on g4 tech tv up in canada way to go coming back coming <laughs> oh, soon wait no coming back it wasn't soon. it was not on g4 tech tv but it was on it was on the on-demand service oh yeah okay the, the um... rogers then g4 made it available through there okay i i liked razafon the razafon movie was a joke though it was it was an editing nightmare <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. The movie is not very good. Uh, well, see, 
do we have anything else to add to this to this uh, story? So yes, actually. Uh, okay, go ahead because I'll have another thought, uh, sort of related to. But so go ahead, Kevin. The rumor is that yes, Kara may not necessarily prosecute people on this, and they're just using it as a way to try and make the image a little squeaky clean, at least during for the duration of when the movie's out. Uh, the other true tragedy of this is that Mogudon, who is an uh, artist famous for drawing Rei Ayanami hentai <laughs> doujinshi, has said that uh, they will no longer draw Rei in this light anymore. And I can only imagine the hearts of many of those fans oh, the fandom. breaking into little pieces. I I mean I kind of get it, but but these are like high school students, right? Like I don't remember the, the series that much. It was a few months ago. Um, well, he I know sure that draw them like high school students. That's for sure. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and that's you know, you know that's, work. Yeah, that's yeah. the the constant dojin legal gray area problematic situation, I guess. Ray looks like she's like nineteen with that body. Okay. Another story altogether. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like the studio. What's the name of the studio again? Because it's not like what's the name of the studio it's now? Studio Kara now because Hideaki Anno uh, took the rights with him when he left Gainax. When he left Gainax, like it's like it's like Studio Kara doing their best version of Kodansha. I got my eye on you. I got my eye on you. <laughs> and yes, I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm doing the pointing at eyes. <laughs> gesture again that's sort of what i guess that's just me although coming back to like you just watched the dub right you just watched the dub on netflix right jeff that is correct well not and just but like when around when the time it came out so i guess you know, it so been we're talking like about two years uh, well it's okay. been like the original tv series um it's like the other back the original Netflix dub, I guess that would have been a year ago now. Um, I think it was like, in, it was in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And remember at the time, people were up in arms over the translation of one line. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. And we thought it wasn't fair at the time. And then... When we talked with Matt and he, that whole line, that whole bit about translation, frankly, I doubled uh, th- those words I said back then. I doubled down. Mm. That wasn't mm. fair. I thought that it wasn't fair at the time. And then the way Matt put it, I doubled down on those feelings. And I, I and I felt bad for Dan Kanamatsu at the time because he was being dragged through the mud over that. Yeah, I felt line. bad for Dan as well. And and, I, and, the, and and like the way Matt talks about his his experience in translation, yeah, yeah. There are so many nuances to the translation and localization process, and with you know the infamous line in question, in in watching you know again watching the series for the first time in English, I think that if they used what fan subbers have used in the past and then tried to translate it into spoken English, I don't think it would have come across as romantic as the word like in that context. Um, Because Mm. I think as teenagers, 
the word like implies romance. And as a weird, creepy angel being, the word love has more of a, you know, cosmic uh, sensibility. And as, you know, we learn in the series that he is this, you know. The last angel. Yeah, exactly. I think love coming from a mythological creature is not as powerful. So I think like kind of, you know, he's in a teenage body form. This might just be me justifying it. Um, But, you know, from my perspective, as, you know, with both of those contexts, I think it was the right choice to imply romance. But I definitely get why people didn't like it. But agreeing with you, no one should have been dragged like, like he was for that, that edit or that, interpretation rather when you when you and this is not quite related jeff but when you went through that explanation i was thinking about this meme this meme that says you know a bite mark like and it shows somebody's you know somebody's neck or something a bite mark says is a sign of affection saying somebody loves you and then 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 it's put beside a picture of uh, a lion eating a zebra. <laughs> the words, I love you, zebra. <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I was thinking when you went into all that. You know, same, I guess almost the same way. And, you know, there's in a lot of ways, there's no, there's no real way to tell, like, unless you actually ask the, the writer of the, the series. Um, and for all we know, the writer may have spoken specifically. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. I <laughs> no, no, off. no. I was, I was just going to basically agree with you there, right? Because as I said, go back to the go back to the to talking with Matt Halt. Something could happen there. Not to say it did. We'll never know. But it's just worth thinking about. Because you weren't there. It, it's sort of like Star Wars to me sometimes and how George Lucas went in to change it a couple times over the original trilogy. People were up in arms, but this is George Lucas's own property. (laughs) It's his art. And maybe, maybe there's something he wanted to change. That's his right. It's his property. Yep. But I I don't have to like it, but. It's, it's interesting, you don't have to like it, but then there's also like a movement of sort of rejecting the canon, right? Like people don't agree with that. I think you're going to find it way more with Harry Potter um, compared to Star Wars, um, just because of how, I guess, personal and emotional kind of the, the weirdness of, the, um, of the, the author is in that case. Well, these um, days, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, go, go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, just like, and I, I think that the idea of of fan work is is going to be interesting. I'm I'm going to be interested to see how that develops, um, because you know, with Star Wars, the most you know popular one in recent years had nothing to do with George Lucas. Like Mandalorian, I don't know if you know George Lucas even saw it before the public did. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, he didn't have much to do with the last three films, did he? <laughs> no. And I guess to some degree, we can sort of say that about Game of Thrones, too. In its own way. Yeah. Like another version of it, I suppose. Because people are so upset with how that ended. I, I've i never watched it. I've told, I keep mentioning that, even though I have like 
a good chunk of the series, actually legally, through iTunes. I only watched it to prove to another friend how easily I could find it illegally online. <laughs> and I, I ended up watching great. nine minutes while eating dinner and then didn't watch another minute of that show. I'm just thinking to myself, eat dinner while watching The Red Wedding. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd be fine. I think so, too. <laughs> I don't get phased by that kind of stuff while I eat. Well, the thing is, now now everybody knows about it. That's the other part. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. It's like, like, as the, I said, the, like the reactions to the episode were viral. I remember that much. It's like the Western TV show equivalent of Final Fantasy VII, where <laughs> died, or the anime, or, or of Cowboy Bebop, where dies. <laughs> I, I, I find it just in case people actually don't know when um when when sephiroth was announced for for smash brothers they had that um interview interview slash overview with with the director masahiro sakurai and he, he just basically talked about the spoiler just verbatim and then afterwards <laughs> like oh oops uh i guess uh that was a spoiler but the game's you know 20 years old who cares and then he just moved on casually <laughs> that's, that's sort of one way to put it really i've never mm. played the game but i knew the spoiler when i was you know in grade five just because oh, even yeah, for god's sakes they in japan they they put it in the commercial <laughs> it was in the commercial wow i didn't know that like i remember seeing it in one commercial that's a I'm just imagine like a Star Wars trailer with like, and his father, Darth Vader, will will happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that's a funny part because that's like, that's how we end up starting going into the um, to the prequel trilogy, right? We know what he would eventually, what Anakin would eventually become, and they kind of tease you with it in some of the ads. I remember the very, one of the original posters I saw advertising the original, the first movie, I think it was Phantom Menace. It's of a, of the little boy, Anakin. And then you see a shadow <laughs> and that shadow is of Darth Vader. Like coming from the young Anakin. And that's the whole idea of the, that trilogy, how he became Darth Vader. At least I think it is. I think they should do that um, that specific type of of thing with all famous like movie villains. Like I think you should see like um, uh, an origin story. Yeah, but they're but they're doing something that's like really silly, kind of like pod racing, like seeing like Freddy's history as you know a go kart you know champion or you know bowling, like just you know just really really devaluing the evil so that they can make yet more movies to show the transition into evil. Once again, to quote the great urban poets, the Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> cash rules everything around me, get the money, dollar, dollar, <laughs> billion. Yakuza is kind of like that, too. They gave an origin story with Yakuza Zero. Oh, and uh, just to quickly follow up on the Evangelion thing, because I was scrolling through some of the comments on ANN just now. Mm -hmm. Uh. The guidelines that were posted were technically done in anticipation of an art contest, but mm. the document did not limit itself to only that art contest. And apparently there was clarification from Kara 
that they wouldn't necessarily be cracking down on the community, but they did say that if artists continue to draw uh, characters from Evangelion outside of those guidelines, that they are doing so at their own risk. Okay. Well, they're prote- I guess it's a protection of the sanctity, I suppose. And I think that, like, when, when you're looking at something like Comiket, um, although, you know, the profits are very low, I think it's pretty amazing of, you know, a relatively famous Japanese company to permit it at all. Like, if you look at, you know, how much Disney has has cracked down at, at North American conventions, like, you can't draw and sell pictures of Spider-Man anymore as much as J. Jonah Jameson, Jameson wants them. Um <laughs> Like there's Disney has been really strict. Um, I'm curious, sure, you, we have. I think there were situations of that during Kingdom Hearts's. Oh yeah, popularity. Mm-hmm. You can only draw. You can only draw Sora. And like it's it's interesting because like I think it's it's very frustrating when a large company like Disney um, does something like that, but with smaller people i don't have as much of a problem like i know at at anime north from what i've heard there were like a few series that like you weren't allowed to sell fan art of and it was all the disney series and then a few smaller things like undertale and i think um maybe uh what's that popular one that was annoying for a while um the gremlin people um, i'm at a loss to I'm at a the loss gray, too. They, they were gray um, it was all, it was started as MS Paint Chat. I'm homestuck. Okay, oh, there we go. Oh, that one. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, like there were a few smaller series that uh, said, please don't sell fan art. And I kind of get it there since, you know, they kind of make money through their own art of their own thing. But um, I, I just find the the legalities behind fan works in general very fascinating sometimes problematic oh absolutely (laughs) i mean as i said as i said earlier in the episode it's rough sometimes when maybe a commentator of an industry makes can end up making more than an actual creator in the industry as is the as can as maybe could be the case in terms of anime But all this, all this stuff, kind of gives me pause for thought as we move forward with this podcast. I mean, if you listen to, if you've listened to the episodes, you know sometimes some of the stuff we use could be of questionable usage. I suppose. I guess uh, that's part of the New Year's resolutions. <laughs> okay, that's pretty much it for the bullets, at least the ones we intended. Okay. I guess before we go this evening, I did have a little thought. There was a part of me that when we wanted to do a second segment, I wanted to put up a thought and I want to ask around the table if they think it would happen or it would be a good idea. So I have two to start this time around. I'm going to put them to you guys and they're somewhat thought provoking and then they're somewhat topical. And you tell me if they think if it's plausible. So let's go with the obvious one, or let's go with a philosophical one, and then I'll go with the more topical one. 
Care to play along? Sure thing. Of course. Okay. Okay. With all these comic books, like Marvel, like the MCU, like the like DC, the DC universe, could what's tell me about the plausibility and the feasibility of something like a jump cinematic universe? Ooh, like like. Like, I mean, let's face it, Jump, the Jump as an imprint has, like, all those brands, all those titles, all that history. Would it, could you make a cinematic universe out of it, considering a lot of the titles within it? I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. But and I would it be a, even a better idea, a good idea? But I just can't picture it happening. I think the recent video game pre- proved that it wasn't. It wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was. It was pretty panned. Um, and and just the trailers were super weird. And all the the video footage I saw was weird because you just had the the player's original character walking around, and and Luffy's in an abandoned, you know, New York or generic city that's super dark and gringy, and then Frieza shows up. It's it's it just kind of seemed weird. Um, I think the the generic more generic fighting game a few years ago on on I think maybe PSP or Vita did better, but it was trying less. Which um, game were we talking about again? Just since we got the title, Jump right. Force. Yeah, Jump Force. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But what Mike? What I'm curious. Do you mean like a live action movie universe, or do you mean like just like a crossover animated movie? See, the crossover animated movie wouldn't wouldn't i think i'm not we'd... really sure no i'm thinking live action because <laughs> no that, that live action movie would require way too much money well the other side the other side is uh, the other side is, is i guess because fandom has seen uh, feels that any attempt at live action is such a train wreck too i take fascinate i've always stated i take fascination in just about any interpretation because it gives another creative force a chance to express what they thought mattered to them in a in an original work. I think live action um, adaptation should go further with that adaptation element of it, though, um, because I'm not sure if ever on the the podcast you covered the the Netflix Death Note, but. I think the main problem with Netflix Death Note is that it tried to adapt too much of the Shonen Jump Death Note. Mm. I think I think mm. they should have just taken the concept of Death Notes exist, let's see what would happen in the USA, instead of ha- trying to really cram these characters into American bodies when they could have just made completely original characters. That's an interesting that would at least be a i i get the feeling you'd have trouble selling that to yeah that's that's a problem that that all said it's a it's another angle i mean we i never saw death note the any form of death note i mean i as i said for me it was bleach Mm. the live action bleach which i found at least palatable i think death note could have worked it's just that the execution wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, Western live action adaptations of and like 
of animated properties from Japan are not good. There's maybe only two or three good ones on that front. Live-action Japanese adaptations have a better batting average, but also not too great. I've I've heard very sad things about the Mob Psycho 100 live-action. I didn't even mm-hmm. know that existed until you mentioned it just now. <laughs> wow. So, I guess... So maybe going back to my original premise, maybe it depends who, maybe it it may only remotely be interesting, depending on who does it. And I've made this point before, but I do, as much as I like accurate adaptations, I am always okay with adaptations that diverge from the original source material, as Jeff stated. So... One example of this was the first live-action Attack on Titan movie. Mm. Mm. I thought that was a good adaptation in the sense that it felt more like a horror movie. Okay. Yeah, and and I think with that one, um, I haven't seen it, but from the impression I got, they they kind of grounded it more in in reality, right? Like the uh, the Attack on Titan original series is very much like... Um, Full Metal Alchemist in like an alternate Earth-like setting, but I got the impression that the movie was a little bit more Earth-Earth. The first <laughs> half, you could make that point. The second movie, not <laughs> so much. Okay. Okay. I still think the second movie is okay, but I think it the tone of that second movie changes from the first one, and I thought I didn't think it was a good change. I still like that they tried something different, don't get me wrong, but I do think that first movie was better. And I, I think that's a really good point um, about this this adaptation of, say, a Jump universe, is that I don't know if if either the US or Japan would be able to create that balance that they have with the Marvel universes like even with if count if you look at you know dc as well like both you know they're not one-to-one adaptations of the comics like far far from it in some cases um in other cases things are fairly close and i'm not sure if a lot of these manga series would be able to handle that stress of of conversion you would need somebody high up on the staff list that knows those properties well because the i think one of the reasons why battle angel alita was a good live action adaptation was because james cameron Mm. like alita (laughs) he was a fan certainly and they had a lot of time on their hands well yeah that all avatar kind of And I think you'd also have to be selective about which series you chose. Um, yes. Like a series like One Piece or Dragon Ball are very fictional. They're not set in Japan, really, or even Earth. But if you had something like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Assassination Classroom, because both of these series take place on Earth but are supernatural, I think that could lend itself to crossover a little bit easier. If mm-hmm. if in this sort of imaginary cinematic universe thing, like you can always have a dimensional rift show up, but you know that's hey, Spider <laughs> Spider Man's playing with it now. I yeah. Okay. 
All right, so there's one. Let's go to the other one. This one's a little, a little bit more pressing, and I think a little bit more closer to us. Will Anime North happen this year? Even with the rescheduling? I'm going to say no. If we're looking at 2021, I believe Anime North will have a physical presence in 2021. I don't know if there will be a convention. Okay. I, I, I think there's... I think there's a greater, I mean, I think that they're going to do everything they can to have their convention in July. I think it might be more likely that they do a, a little Halloween party at the JCCC like they like they have in the past. That would okay. be more realistic, I would think. It's just a guess, though. Like, I, I really, I think, yeah, it, we're all I, think it's, I think it's pretty 50-50 right now. I think 50-50 is the best case scenario. I, for and we said this, we said this back then when we talked about it more at length. I applaud them for hedging. I applaud them for doing this for going for the backup plan. Well, they have and, to. And I know. I mean, I and the way they're doing this, the way they're talking about it, I have to. I really respect that, and I respect. Their candor about it, especially acknowledging it still may not happen. And I don't think it will. I'm really skeptical. And this this ties into, well, let's give the COVID update <laughs> right now. And maybe the short version of the COVID update is Uh-oh. for Ontario. It sucks. And swallows. Huh. We daily daily case counts over the over the past 2 weeks have easily gotten over 3000 i think we i forgot exactly when we broke that barrier it really it doesn't matter i think we we did get to like we are straddling more the 3 uh, three and a half mark and with it the hospital admissions and icu usage is goes without saying and the testing rates and the positivity rates in relation the ratio is up i think it's at if memory serves me right it was like at eight percent yesterday so we're not in an easy spot the pandemic the pandemic series of this of this <laughs> podcast is going to go for some time, I think. I I made a um, social dis- distance drop-off delivery on Christmas Day to a friend's house, and mm-hmm. it was almost impossible to find parking. People did oh. not take... People did not... And, you know, this was along... This was street parking. This wasn't, oh, at one building, there wasn't a spot in the visitor's lot. This was just a suburb in in the scarborough north york border along a road which normally has in northeast end yeah exactly um there was it was difficult to find a spot and the same all the suburb roads that i kind of drove by it was the same uh situation i people did not treat the please do not have big family gatherings seriously at all 
I I appreciate that they included the um the exceptions for people like me who are single and live alone. Um, but I mm-hmm. I didn't really take advantage. Like I I talked to people six feet away. Um, uh, and That's that was commendable. kind of that was me mm-hmm. kind of stretching that is I had um that and I had one other meeting with a single person in the last week or so. But you know, in general, people are just behind closed doors acting like everything is normal. Well, I yeah. mean, I, we've all had our lapses, I suppose. And, and I think that that's understandable. Um, but I think it's just that people aren't treating things seriously um, as far as even these lapses. Like it should, it should be a conscious like mental battle when you're making these concessions. It shouldn't be, I'm just going to live my life as normally as possible, even though everything, you know, consumer based is closed. It should be, is my mental health at risk if I don't talk to someone? Okay, yes, I guess I'll go for a walk um, with someone. It shouldn't be, I'm just going to have parties um, with, with I know people. We're talking both extremes, I, I suppose. Yeah. But mm. obviously, I know, I know where you're going with that. I can respect where, what you're trying to say there. But, I don't know. Well, as I said, just going back on it, uh, on the whole thing. Like, going back to Anime North. And that's probably why... (laughs) That's what I'd like to do. (laughs) And that's why I say I don't think it will happen. Mm -hmm. Because I don't trust society, our society, to stick to the rules so to speak and i don't you know i can see why i understand why you know you can only keep people locked up for so long but it's just that people have accepted that this is the new normal and well if i need to do this one thing or these two things then those are the risks i'm going to take yeah or maybe they don't even think that and they're belligerent, like like Jeff said. That's possible too. All I need all you really need to know now, at least the way the thing I want people to know now is 4K is coming this week. <laughs> Hang in there, folks. <laughs> Hang in there. It's 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 it is really sad. Like, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this ever on the podcast before, but Anime North is my Christmas. It it means more to me than than Christmas probably does at this point. Um, I was devastated. Uh, an AN staff member phoned me um, right before or right as they made the announcement um, last year because he, he wanted me to, to hear it from a friend. Mm. Um, I... It's it's a very emotional and uh, you know celebrated uh, moment for me. Even a bad AN is just kind of like, oh well, it, it was kind of a, a bad, cool, awesome event. Um, but if if it's you know if we're still at multi thousand a day, like it's I can understand if if it doesn't run, like it's or even if there's a risk that it will be, you know, at that level. You know, it's it's easy to be pessimistic as far as will it run. But yeah, we will, I guess we will see. 
very okay. shortly. Yep. Anyway, that's, I think on that somber note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 I, I guess now I'll lighten it up at the very end. What's on your, what's on your um, streaming queue right now, Jeff? Um, Right or now, yeah, right now, um, nothing on the reading queue um, right uh, now. I'm still very much in anticipation of April's uh, Shaman King reboot uh, release. Um, I am anticipating the new seasons of Beastars and Dr. Stone, but I watch both of those dubbed and <laughs> the dub releases are still shrouded in mystery. Uh-huh. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, what's that? Oh, I, I just, I haven't been able to figure out when the release um, oh, is. Okay. Because, like, with, with like, uh, My Hero Academia, it's usually um, simul-dub for the first six weeks or so. But uh, Beastars last time for the first season, it was, I think, two months delay. And then for Dr. Stone, I think it was about three weeks delay. So I should have new anime to watch uh, shortly when it comes to at least Beastars and Dr. Stone. Um, but I'm just going to be dreaming about Shaman King for three months, four months, I oh, guess. <laughs> I might watch it too. Might. <laughs> I'm might. very bad at watching anime lately. Okay. Well, okay. One thing you want to mention on your read or watch right now, Kevin? Well, I am very slowly watching Gundam Build Fighters only because... Mm-hmm. I have a friend who willingly asks me every week, hey, are we watching Gundam Build Fighters this week? <laughs> and, he, and he's already watched the show. He's just willing to watch it with me, and he's willing to watch it again for the social experience. So I've actually made slow but steady progress on that front. <laughs> uh, okay. As for manga... I'm set to finish reading part three of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure through the library. And I also have another three volumes of Demon Slayer that I have to read. There you go. And I have to say things escalated very quickly (laughs) where I am right now. Just uh, quickly, um, the copies of Demon Slayer, are they your copies or library copies? They are also the library's copies. Okay. Uh, See... Which means I don't read any of my own stuff yet again. Well, that's fine. That's always there. Look, see, in terms of my reading and watching, I'm still trying to finish podcasting for dummies <laughs> and and failing miserably, which means I probably should have to start it over or take another course or take another podcasting course. The reading, the watching list is a little more interesting because I, I started to watch the first season of Shinya Shokodo. Netflix has the original three seasons now of Midnight Diner. I, we mentioned that in past episodes, and I actually started watching them. And I will tell you, they are quite different from the Netflix seasons, the final two seasons that Netflix produced. So you can, so I, I look forward to seeing how it evolve, uh, how it evolves. the The stories are even more depressing, if that's possible, for starters. And I think the upshot, and I guess to uh, listeners, and this this isn't really meant to be a spoiler, but the master in Midnight Diner, who never really got involved too much in the stories in the Netflix in the last two Netflix seasons. 
in this in the first couple episodes, he kind of gets a little bit more involved in the stories. So they in the process, they end up being a little bit more intense as well in comparison. But it's a good watch and it still holds overall the same tone. So, I mean, it's a it's a no brainer for fans of the series of the original series or of the Netflix series. This is the original. <laughs> These are the original episodes, but it's a no-brainer to watch regardless. So I'm enjoying that. The funny regret, and this is probably me throwing myself under the bus. One thing I did want to watch was Crazy Rich Asians. It was on Netflix. And I I meant to try and finish it. I only got about halfway through it. But then... I got sidetracked because it was on Wednesday and well, lots of stuff happened Wednesday. Upshot is it expired on Netflix Mm. before I could finish it. So now I wouldn't mind trying to find another means to finish watching the movie. I'm sure the library has a copy of the Blu-ray for you to rent and borrow. Oh, I'm sure I'll have many options if I just dig around, even if I just ask friends and family to borrow their borrow a disc but For that's sure. that's and then the last thing is great pretender and i know we can talk great pretender in terms <laughs> of the translation stuff because that's a good good reference point for the from the mad alt conversation <clears throat> i haven't started uh, the final seven episodes of that yet so but i look forward to it eventually and that's that's my cue and let's see where i and we'll see where we all are next time right anyway that's pretty much it for this episode. Jeff, great that you did this. Thanks for having me. Well, you're, you, uh, I'm sure we'll, well, first of all, you want to do the space heater chat with, uh, with me sure in, a, in the near future, like, because we really do got to catch <laughs> up and see. And mm-hmm. I don't think many of the listeners knew that you did take the jet program. So we'll talk, so we can talk at length about that when, when you do the, when you do the, when you do the space heater chat with me. Okay. Great. And I know we can talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> so, and of course, that, you're back in the rotation. So, uh, hopefully, you'll be on the show again a, a little bit more in 2021. <laughs> Kevin, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, right? Yep. Oh, there's a slam dunk movie that they announced recently. Oh, yeah. We just saw this now. Oh man. Well, we can talk about. Well, put, we'll put up the link for that, and then maybe we can talk about it a little more. But Toby's involved, which is not always the best thing, but. hey uh toei uh animated those uh intros to sonic cd which are feats of animation (laughs) no no sarcasm there i actually think so um i just want to call out mo if uh mo if you're listening and you haven't finished japan sinks why haven't you finished japan sinks Mm. it's great (laughs) i'm sure we'll i'm sure he'll hear the message okay and of course we'll have james on uh, in the very near future as well Once again, that's pretty much it for this episode. If you've been listening and like what you heard or have something to say, well, say it. Contact information is in the show notes and, of course, at the beginning of this episode. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your uh, stuff. Until next time, thanks for listening. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Round.